Sam Amick of The Athletic will join me for Locked on NBA. We'll talk about the vibe and the greatness around the Warriors. Dig into the Lakers and Carmelo's comments in Houston, plus reseed the West and the East. First, we'll jot down a few notes about what took place last night in the association. It's next on Locked on NBA. You are Locked on the NBA, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Hi, I'm David Locke, host of Locked on Jazz, as well as Radio Voice of the Jazz and host of Locked on NBA on Thursdays. Hope you caught Ben Golliver on Tuesdays, and if you haven't heard Sam Amick, Ben Golliver, weekly guests now on Locked on NBA, so make sure you stay tuned and grab them. Josh Lloyd will always give you the local experts on the biggest stories on Mondays. Let's run through the association last night. Quickly, there were seven games, a few of interest, and then Sam will join us. Uh, Brooklyn goes to 3-5 and five as some of the shine is falling off the early part of Detroit. An overtime loss, Spencer Dinwiddie getting his own old team. Nice bounce back from Brooklyn, who was just awful against New York. Earlier in the week, uh, Blake Griffin continues to play well at 25 and 9. The reoccurring theme of big guys having big numbers. Andre Drummond, 25 and 23, but Brooklyn holds in on to win that game. The story of the night happened in Minneapolis where Derrick Rose went into a Halloween costume and came back as 2021 MVP Derrick Rose. He had 50 points playing in place of the injured Jeff Teague. Jimmy Butler wasn't around, so evidently they didn't beep and need him to win because Minnesota beat Utah 128-123 behind the 50 points of Derrick Rose. That was a huge offensive battle. Neither's team's defense was able to dig in. The Jazz defense never able to get it going in that one. Donovan Mitchell left that game with hamstring tightness. Denver does not look as good without Will Barton, but they were able to game out a win in Chicago a Chicago team that is now 2-6. and six. Denver goes to 6-1. and one. Road wins are hard to come by. You just take them and walk out happily. But I don't think Denver's particularly pleased with this one. Slow pace game, and the defense was good. Not as brilliant as it has been all year long. Indiana got back on track after losing to Portland earlier in the week with a 107-101 win over the New York Knicks. Tim Hardaway Jr. had 37 in the loss uh, for the Knicks. Uh, the Victor Oladipo showed up in a Black Panther outfit that was awesome, but the superhero was Demotis Sabonis with 30 points on 12 of 12 shooting. Lakers won a close one last night, 114-113. Another mammoth box score night for LeBron and JaVel McGee with big numbers. Uh, they out, got outscored 32-20, though, in the fourth quarter. So late game performance by the Lakers continues to be a concern, though they get the win 3-5. and five. San Antonio blows out Phoenix, who's just having a miserable time. And then Golden State does it again, 131-121. to If you're looking at this one and trying to figure out what it means for either team, Anthony Davis did play. My thought is actually a good night for the Pelicans because the Warriors shot unbelievably their effective field goal percentage was 62 percent last night they shot 53 percent from the field 50 percent from three Steph Curry is on another planet 37 points in 20 shots um, and I'll explain coming up here with Sam why I think the Warriors you know might just go win 70 games uh, they are just playing with a pizzazz and an energy that's different. We haven't seen it. They put 43 points up in the first quarter, led 43-37 at the end of one. So that's your quick recap 
of last night's action. We always try to do that for you. Anthony and Adam will have Friday's fun show for you uh, tomorrow. Make sure you follow Locked on NBA Net, both on Instagram and Twitter. And now let's get to the conversation I had with Sam Amick. And now joining Sam Amick of The Athletic. You can get him uh, and all of his great work at The Athletic, theathletic.com slash locked on NBA. We'll get you a discounted rate as well. So I just ran through all those scores and all this, and Sam, all we're hearing about is the offensive explosion. I've dug into the numbers a little bit. Here's what I've got. We're playing faster to about five possessions a game. And teams are shooting much smarter than they've ever shot before to the point of about 1.4, 1.5 points a game by just simply taking better shots. That's the six points. That's it. It's we're playing better, faster, and we're playing um, with smarter shots. But we don't have like an offensive explosion to me would be we're shooting better. There's more. It's actually that's the six points right there. Better shot selection, faster pace. I hear you. First thought is, I mean, you know, fouls are up, and actually I started digging in a little bit on this today, and it's, I think you're ahead of me on that curve. I haven't looked at all the numbers, but, okay, so smarter shot taking, but there, to me there'd be a correlation there between just simply being able to get to your spot. I mean, if I'm a defender, that would be my counter. I would, you know, or a defensive-minded player. I would say, yeah, of course you're – taking smarter shots because you know where you want to get to on the floor. You know the percentages all over the floor, where you should be, where you shouldn't be, and all of a sudden you can get exactly where you want to go. I mean, do you think that uh, tempers it a little bit? Oh, I think that's really smart. I hadn't thought about that. I think that's really smart. Um, I I think that I I had not thought about that idea at all. And and I do think that the if you get into the shot selection difference, which I have, which I have definitely delved into. The biggest difference right now is that um, 33.5% of shots are being taken at the rim right now. And a year ago, that number, and I'm pulling it up, uh, was at 31.6. So what okay. we so the, the explosion offensively is really that people are getting the rim. That's probably the – that's Rudy Gobert being able to roll. That's Clint Capella being able to roll. That's somebody being able to back cut off the wing. Wesley Matthews off of DeAndre Jordan back cut that where he was being right. held in the past. So you're, pro, you're absolutely right in that regard. Yeah, I mean, to me, and it's funny because some of this is going to be information-based. Some of it's anecdotal. Um, I just read uh, Justin Verrier had a good piece on the ringer breaking down, you know, the bigger picture of the league scoring evolution and the tweaks that have been made on the defensive side, you know, not just this summer, but in years past that led that, you know, led us to this point. And you've got a lot of layers to this discussion. But the one thing that a couple weeks into the season has been unmistakable for me is that professional basketball players who typically don't I mean, I know they whine a lot to the refs on the court, but they don't typically bring that into the locker room that much with the media and the level of frustration right now is extremely high. I mean, any, any, you know, if you want to talk to anybody about what's going on, they will talk to you. They will talk to you on the record and they want the message out there because they're not thrilled with how this is going. Were you the one who had the Rudy Gay experience? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, uh, I forget where <laughs> I've shared that on, on a couple different platforms. I hadn't written it yet. And, I, you know, if I write this story that I think I'm leaning towards doing to kind of analyze some of this stuff, I mean, 
I might even lead with that Rudy Gay experience because there were two parts to it. You know, I was talking to LaMarcus Aldridge. This is in L.A. when they beat the Lakers. And um, Rudy was nearby, was not at the time talking to us. And I I think I told LaMarcus that the Spurs had given up more points that night than any other game in Greg Popovich's entire San Antonio career. And that's when Rudy chimed in and he said, man, the league's going soft. And, and so we were kind of talking from there, but the, the, the funny but also telling part of the exchange was that when I looked at LaMarcus and I said, what do you think? He kind of grinned and he was like, well, I had 18 free throws tonight, so I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> you know, it's like you have the offensive minded players are kind of probably sitting there going, all right, this is fun. I can get where I want to go. And, and guys who are trying to stop somebody are obviously not thrilled. But this is, and, and the irony here is that LaMarcus Aldridge took 18 free throws, and I think this is the same night that Luke Walton bitches that, excuse yeah. me, complains that no one's getting fouled while shooting. So I actually just yeah. think guys are complaining for the sake of complaining, and maybe the league is, I don't know what the heck Rudy Gay means by the league is going soft, because when I heard this story, so not being soft is holding a player so they can't roll. I mean, P.J. Tucker said in a Jonathan Fagan Houston Chronicle piece, he went through the four principles of their switching defense last year, and the fourth was hold them. Hold them. Right, right. I mean, well, I mean, you sound shocked, though, David. Like, I mean, you're telling me that, that 80s, you know, grit and grind basketball didn't involve a ton of holding? You know, the bad boys Pistons didn't involve – that's not a hold. I mean, of course, that's part game, of it. And I mean, the game it's not, sucked. It's not textbook defense. And the game was awful, Sam. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, I think there needs to be a balance. I'm not putting those Pistons teams up there as the aesthetically pleasing goal here. But, I mean, I think that, you know, in that piece that I mentioned a second ago, you know, it was brought up, I forget who said it, but somebody brought up Tony Allen and just the idea that a player like that, you know, almost doesn't have a place in the NBA right now, uh, at least in terms of him being able to be as effective as he once was. So I'm not saying it's the end all be all, but you know, the idea that uh, you just simply can't slow a guy down in the lane and you just can't take that edge off the opposing team's offense just a little bit is obviously making things tough. I was talking to Tom Thibodeau today and I asked him a basketball question, not a Jimmy Butler question. So he was really excited. Um, And he said, um, he said he thinks it's bringing the fundamentals back to the game. I, I'm not sure what he means by that, but I thought that was interesting that a guy who supposedly has made his name defensively thought that. Yeah, um, that is very interesting. You know, let me look at the calendar here. And Actually, I don't need to look at the calendar. Let's talk to Tibbs uh, Friday night late after they play the Warriors at Oracle Arena, and let's see how Tibbs is feeling about the fundamentals because – you know, the Warriors are a spectacular offensive team, correct? But in the span of six days, they did things that were even above, you know, the Warriors kind of super team level, which is Steph Curry, 51 points and three quarters, Clay Thompson, 54, whatever the heck it was, in less than three quarters, and Kevin Durant having 25 out of his 41 in the fourth quarter in New York. So, you know, the Warriors to me are, are right now like the poster team is benefiting from the uh, the change in, in the way things are being called because staff in particular, you know, for years has been just pulling his hair out over, over the fact that, you know, he's getting grabbed and pulled and yanked every time he's trying to get to his spot. He's such an active player. He's always running all over that floor, Ray Allen style. But, uh, you know, off the ball, 
he's constantly getting fouled and, and it's not getting called. Well, now it is getting called. Sam Amick, the athletic, is with us. We will continue to talk more about those Warriors. We'll readjust what we think of everybody in each conference and continue the conversation coming up on Locked on NBA. Make sure you grab the new Locked on NBA Twitter feed, Locked on NBA Net. It has all of our hosts of the NBA channel on one feed for you. It's incredible during games uh, in the evening to follow that feed alone. And then also our new Instagram account, Locked on NBA. This one's really cool, Sam. Locked on NBA Net Instagram has the highlights from all the shows across the network on the stories of that day. So the three or four biggest stories, those hosts, quick 30-second snippets from all of them about what's going on. So good follow on both Instagram and on Twitter, Locked on NBA Net. All right, so you talked Warriors. I have a crazy Warrior theory with very little backing, maybe a little knowledge. I want to give it to you and see what you think. I like it. Let's go. So there's a little knowledge here. There's not a, like, probably not great knowledge, but there's pretty. So I actually think they've worn each other out. And instead, okay. instead of combusting, all of them are trying to prove their individual points. <laughs> and it's leading to this, and it's actually somehow building a camaraderie. So I think that Steph and Clay and Draymond, who won a title before Durant, are absolutely exhausted of Durant's shenanigans. Just, <laughs> it doesn't match who they are. It doesn't match their strength in numbers. His actions, from what I hear both off record and on record are not do not match that. Draymond is completely tired of not being wait a sec, I'm the best defensive player. I'm gonna go win defense player of the year. Steph's pissed that he's not in the narrative and has clearly told Andre Igudala and everybody else to start talking about him as an MVP and himself to talk about him as MVP. Clay's over on the side, he didn't give a crap because he's Clay. But I actually <laughs> think that this is like what's happening and instead of them like having some internal combustion they're each just having going to make their statement and they might just go win 70 games because the way that Kevin Durant and Steph Curry become MVP candidates is you have to decide between the two of them when they do go win 70 games and they're just so much better than everyone else I uh I'm fascinated by the theory I applaud the uh, the attempt to, to mind read in ways that it's always tricky uh and who knows man I mean there's a chicken of the egg thing here that you know, we'll never know the answer to to your theory and the way you see it because the end result right now is not only domination, but it's joy. And that is the thing for me that already separates their season. You know, we're only eight games in for them from last year is joy. And they didn't have it last year. And, and it wasn't a reach for the panic button type of mood or environment because you knew they'd eventually figure it out. But it was weird and they didn't seem to be enjoying each other as much. And Draymond in particular, you know, had some injury stuff and seemed kind of grumpy here and there and couldn't defend like he wanted to. Um, I mean, the way you broke it down is, is fascinating. And, I mean, who the heck knows? I, I do think that individually you have a lot of puffing of the chest going on right now, but it is happening in the kind of cohesive, synergistic way that it's leading to just dominant basketball. Um, it's, it's fun to watch, I mean, objectively. It's, it's incredible to watch these guys right now. And it's a hell of a story as we look at next summer because we all know what's on the line here. You know, will Kevin stay? Will Kevin go? And rather than letting that subplot get in their way, they are essentially deciding to play unhinged, to play for each other. I mean, there was a great graphic the other day where Clay was hitting his 14th three um, to beat Steph Curry's single game record. 
and they, you know, you can see Clay on the left side with his arms raised, and obviously the the headband, which is his new signature, uh, you know, part of his apparel, and then Steph Curry on the other side with the same exact motion, hands in the air, like, yeah, you just broke my record, and that's how, you know, I think it's mostly Steph. He's the one who sets the tone for that culture, and if any of the stuff that you said was true about the way they have worn each other out, the way they've been frustrated by one another. The incredible part about their locker room is that I think everything is seen through the prism of Steph. And it, you know, ultimately leads to this type of basketball, this type of handling of whatever conflict they have. I mean, there have been different times when it was through the prism of Draymond and he was the guy leading the way, uh, setting the tone. That's going to be more volatile. That's going to be potentially less healthy. You know, when he's laying into Steve Kerr, in Oklahoma City in that one infamous argument they had at halftime of that game against the Thunder a couple of years ago. So they have gone down that road, but uh, but all in all, they just they find a way to to get through this stuff and play great basketball. You know one of the reasons, I just want to, sh- so it's not totally made up. Um, every now and then there's these quotes, if you've been in the league for 25 years, which I hate to admit I have, I think I'm at 26, that you're like, oh, wow, that's like, that's a huge quote. Um, Carmelo had one the other night, actually, in Houston. That was like, oh, my gosh, like, that's a mammoth quote. He may have not meant to say what he said, but he said it, and we'll get back to that in a second. But it was David right. It was David West's quote last year about how tumultuous the season was that caught me. Yeah. David, David West had a quote, I think it was maybe on the celebration. You have no idea what we've been through. You have no idea how hard this was. It's like, Why? Why was this hard? It didn't look to us like you were trying for one minute. It didn't look like you were engaged at all as a team. You swept the finals after, like, what what was going on? And I think that, and then all the offseason stuff is a little bit of, and I think, you're at, I think your point's even better, Sam, is that Steph is this incredible overriding winning personality. And then I do think that the bond amongst all of them is brilliant basketball. They're all basketball junkies. I mean, Kevin, the Michael Lee story that Kevin wrote, the Michael Lee story about Kevin, about him just you know, loving the game, and clearly Steph loves the game. You know what? There's no pettiness that's bigger than, that's so big that can't see how awesome Clay was that night, how awesome Steph was that night, and they get all into it. Durant's screaming, shoot to shoot to Steph. 100%, 100%. And I mean, yeah, I mean, look, they've got, I mean, we'll see how it goes when DeMarcus Cousins is, is back on the floor and healthy, but, you know, from a cultural standpoint, they seem to be enjoying him. He's, you know, yucking it up during games, enjoying it. I mean, this is, you're making a very simple but accurate point that these are guys who love to play basketball and guys who have dreamt their entire lives of being in the kind of environment where you can be at your best. And let's be honest, you can kick the other guy's butt on a nightly basis and and do it in a pretty grand fashion. And, And it must be nice. You know what I mean? Like I had this funny thought the other day about DeMarcus in particular and the idea that for a lot of his basketball life, he's been accused of being a bully, you know, in the way, He's been with different teammates and things like that. Well, now all of a sudden, you know, this is this is being a bully of a different kind, being on the bully team and the team that just runs around the NBA bullying everybody who crosses its path. And, you know, you got this Rockets team that pushed the Warriors to the brink in the West Finals, and we thought maybe that gap had been cut just a little bit. But now, the, you know, that's not appearing to be sustainable, and they're off the rails, and, and it looks like the gap has widened even more. So uh, I'll say this, though, that, you know, as we sit here just – opining about their greatness and their the inevitability of another championship um it's only seven games but they're five uh my math is wrong most of their wins are against pretty terrible teams so far and they dropped the game in denver 
where you know they uh, they, they just they didn't play very well. Steve Kerr killed them after that game and said it was some of the worst basketball he'd seen out of them in quite some time. But they lost to the Nuggets, and then you know your Utah Jazz pushed them as about as much as you can. If Drebko doesn't get that put back, then it's a different story. So you know I, I want to see them against really good teams. You know Friday against Minnesota is not going to be the case. You know, but once the Toronto's start coming through town and, and teams like that, I want to see kind of how they measure up. I think that's a great point. Uh, after that Denver game, I went and looked. This is the earliest they've gone east, um, and they've had a bunch of early West Coast trips you would have been able to compare them to. They've usually blown everyone out early in the year on the West, and they, they got lucky to win in Utah, and they lost in Denver. Um, right. So, you know, I do think that the you know going to play east is nice i actually on that note just a side note this isn't where i was going to go i want to get to carmelo um i was having lunch with alan horton the timberwolves play-by-play announcer and he had the most incredible thought he saw lebron the other night minnesota lakers game and he's like look at lebron's line he goes that's lebron's line in cleveland and they win because they're in the east but he's on a team right. that can't shoot threes, so he's making a bunch of these passes. None of these guys can shoot, so they can't make them. But that's the he's like, this was the game everyone's talked about forever, in which when LeBron goes west, he now loses this game. And it's the, you which know, game was he this, the, referring the, to? The Minnesota Lakers game the other night. Right, right, and that's, right. He has a big line, 28-11 and whatever. And in Cleveland, he creates a few threes for his guys. They make the shots. They win because they're yeah. playing not very good teams. And instead, they're playing Minnesota, who is, what, six, seven, or eight in the East, maybe nine or ten, and they lose that game. And I, I just yeah. I thought that was – Allen's exactly right, that in the point of East versus West, that's the night. Um, that's the night we've all talked about, and it's already happened. It's already happening, and, I mean, it's, it's got to be worrying LeBron. I mean, he had that great quote uh, the other night, last night, I'm losing track of time, whenever it was, when he was asked, you know, what does it look like when you lose your patience? as a leader, and I believe it was a buddy and colleague, Reed Forgrave at CBS, who had asked him, and, and he said, well, you don't want to be around when that happens. And, and I think that's coming soon because those games that used to be wins are not wins anymore. And, you know, I know it's uh, people give me a hard time on Twitter yesterday for even mentioning the mere word playoffs. But as you know, as well as anybody, this season and the schedule flies by real quick. And if I was the Lakers, you know, you're already having to play the math game of, okay, you start two and five. I mean, all of a sudden, you know, now what's it going to take to get to 48, 49 wins and avoid being out of the playoffs. And, you know, that's, I mean, you know, now it seems less and less believable that this team, given the way it looks right now, if they don't make any major changes could play that kind of, you know, 600 plus basketball to get to where they need to get to to get into the postseason. I think the numbers game for them has already begun. Sam Amick is with us. Make sure you grab our fantasy show, Locked on Fantasy Basketball with Josh Lloyd. It's a great recap for fantasy. It's also a super recap of the nightly action as well. So make sure you follow on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Locked on Fantasy Basketball. All right, I've mentioned this Carmelo quote a few times. I just thought it was really telling. He came is after the game. There are three great reporters that are covering that team right now, so I don't want to. I don't know who I'm giving credit to, but let's just go with all of them. Um, and he said, you know, basically we've got to switch up our defensive concepts. You know, we can't just be sitting here and putting in a being put in a position to fail. And that was stop switching me, stop making me look <laughs> like a fool every night. And I thought it was incredible. It took right. seven games. Might have only been six at that point 
for Carmelo to basically say, like, I, I'm not in. I thought that was an incredible quote. I didn't see it. I hate to admit it. Uh, that is an incredible quote. And it's, you know, I don't know if you, and I enjoy Carmelo. He's, he's very, <clears throat> excuse me, enjoyable on a personal level. But, man, like, that's just one of those where it's, is that lack of self-awareness? Is that is that just the reality that you got two options with that kind of a quote? Are you going to come out and just say, I don't think I deserve playing time because I don't fit the scheme? Well, no, you're not going to say that. So guess what? Change the scheme. And that's how he's going to be wired. But my goodness, they were the seventh best team uh, defensively in the entire league last year with that switching scheme. And now all of a sudden you're saying you, you got to change it because I can't do it. Um, it's, you know, it's mind boggling that it's happened this quickly. I thought over time, certainly that defense might take a hit, but they're not stopping anybody. I'm surprised. You know, I know that you can't help, you know, it's a five man game and you can't win games by sheer force of will. But a Chris Paul team with Chris Healthy, I'm surprised at their lack of competitiveness early on, even though he's been out a couple games because of that suspension and then James Harden being hurt has not helped. But, uh, I mean, that is a hell of a quote, and they're in a hell of a situation. I mean, you know the backstory. They lose Jeff Pizdelic, the lead assistant who was the captain of their defense last year, surprisingly leaves in the summer, kind of caught Mike D'Antoni off guard. Now you've got Roy Rogers you know, running things on that side of the floor. Everybody with the Rockets acted like that transition was going to be seamless. But honestly, you know, everybody with the Rockets also acted like Michael Carter-Williams and James Ennis and guys like that could fill in the gaps left behind or the void from guys like Trevor Ariza and Luke Pabamute. So uh, it's, it's just insane that the Rockets – I mean, you're talking 65-win team, David. You know what I mean? This is not just some kind of – this isn't the Celtics a few years ago to get the number one seed – in the East with 50-something wins. Like, this was a juggernaut team that is just looking like they're in the playoff uh, battle now. Here's the other thing, though. The game's changed on them, and they're aware of it. They're, and this is – I don't know if you felt this when you were with them, but Mike D'Antoni told Craig Ackerman, their radio voice, in a coach's interview that last year they won nine games because their math was better than everybody else's. and that their math, And that their math advantage is gone. And that now this team needs to get back to doing the small things and the little things to win games, and it's a big change to them. And he's right. Let me give you a note on this. Last year, they took 82.2% of their shots as either at the rim or threes. The next closest in the league was Brooklyn at 71.7%. And the third best team was Toronto at 70.8. Okay? So they were 10 percentage points better than the next closest and they were to the average team in the league they were 18 percentage points more smart shots than the average team in the league one year later they are no longer the number one team in the league in smart shots milwaukee is last check there are 12 teams in the nba taking 70 percent or more of their shots now at the rim or threes wow that's great data uh so now's the part where you hit copy and paste and you send sam the link to all that information okay. appreciate it david all right I will do that. not a problem <laughs> but what it means is and i actually yeah have, no I that's, have, that's I, telling man it's very telling i have a stat that i keep called points gained and I agree with them completely. I had them at 4.5 points gained per game last year, which comes out to a little over nine wins. 
The next closest in the league was 2.4 in the Clippers because they took the most shots in the restricted area. And it's they're the third best points gained team in the league right now. And their points gained is almost nothing compared to what it was. Actually, they're the fourth best. They're 2.9 now because averages moved on them and they don't have the edge that they once had. And that's a monumental switch for who the Rockets are. Yeah, it's huge. Well, and it also, you know, I like that because it, it gives some nuance to the narrative because defense is certainly a big part of the equation in Houston right now, but it's certainly not it. And, you know, that paints a pretty incredible picture that the rest of the league is, this is the part that we overlook sometimes, at least I think the the mainstream fan, is that, you know, this game, night by night, season by season, is being analyzed so closely by all these teams that they, you know, if there is a, a weakness in the market that's getting exploited, you know, that's only going to be the case for so long. So then all of a sudden Mike Budenholzer comes into Milwaukee and says, all right, we've got to go ahead and and copy this blueprint and bridge this gap. And then you have it where you have it now. I mean, that's, that's wild. The other takeaway for me is that, you know, you obviously have personnel changes for the Rockets from last year to this year. And and you lose a guy in Ariza who, you know, when I I did the story on the Warriors uh, and this relates, so I'm getting far afield, but um, where they were, they talked about which elite teams they were not afraid of, but posed the most threat to them. And Kevin Durant had a really interesting point about Ariza where he said, you know, everybody focuses on his defense, but Kevin's opinion was that Trevor in transition, quick trigger threes, uh, that was a weapon that the Rockets were going to miss. And that, you know, Carter Williams is not giving you that. And this is not giving you that. And so personnel wise, you lose a guy in Trevor who can, you know, help you with the safe shot category. Uh, you add a guy in Mello who is the antithesis to that and who's going to be trying to do his mid-range thing like he's always done. And, you know, I think a lot of that helps explain how they are where they are. Interesting. All right, let's uh, – here. you want an interesting note, by the way, on the whole smart shot thing? Yeah. The 23rd, I think – let me check and make sure I'm right on this before I comment on something. The 25th-ranked team in the NBA in smart shots – Minus 2.3 points gained a game, an enormous amount that would cost you about six wins a year, are the Boston Celtics. Wow. The Boston Celtics. I don't know what to make of that. The Boston Celtics offense that everyone's like, oh, it'll be fine. I, I, got, yeah, yeah, yeah. I am not convinced. They're 28th in the league at rim shots. Um. I'm not convinced at all. They did not have a month last year where they were over 12th in the league offensively. Right. Everyone talks about you the injuries. You said inju- that before. Everyone talks yeah, about the all, injuries. Yeah, you've been banging that drum. Yeah, I, I, there's not – that's – all right, so reseed the East. We've got two weeks' worth of knowledge. If you're seeding the East, what would you do for your top four? We are reseeding the East. Uh, I mean, I'm going to go – I hate to – I need to watch – more of the Bucks, and they're coming my way soon. So, I mean, they're obviously out to a great start. It's clear that the offensive changes that have been made are, you know, kind of helping them grow leaps and bounds. But I'm going to give the Raptors the edge on that one. I'm going to have the Raptors be number one. I'm going to have the Bucks be number two. I'm going to put the Celtics three, uh, Sixers four. All right, that's that way, is it? The, let me jump yeah, in. There we go. That's fine. We only need the top four. So let me make sure I'm asking yep. the same. You are answering the same question I'm asking. If you guessed right now, you believe that at the end of the year the Bucks will be ahead of the Celtics in the standings. 
No, I was kind of in the moment. Let me recalculate. I mean, that's that's what I think. End of the year, End Bucks of- better than I can't give it to them. No, I can't. I mean, I, I'm going to go Raptors, Celtics, Bucks, Sixers. So I don't. I mean, it, it's it's not quite this simple. But I keep going back to just you know, Giannis for one is playing on a different level, and I don't know if he can do that all year. He's going to have an MVP caliber year, but you know, is he going to have kind of you know ups and downs? Uh, but Chris Middleton is your second guy. I mean, you you compare rosters and the Celtics talent wise, I think that gets them over the top in the, as far as the end of the year. So, yeah, I'll go uh, Raptors, Celtics, Bucks, Sixers. I uh, I will go Bucks above the Celtics. Okay. I had I had when the year started, Mill, Boston, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, and Indiana almost inseparable, and the Bucks are have made changes to be better. I had Toronto. Yeah. I had Toronto number one by a mile. Um, I think Toronto and Golden State are way better than everyone else in the NBA from the beginning of the season, and I'm holding to that. West. This is fat. before we go west. Yeah. yeah. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I, the only question is whether Indi- no, I just only other question is whether Indiana deserves to be in front of Philadelphia on our projections. By the way. Yeah. Philly's I'm not kind of right. Being guilty of star power there. Yep. Um, Philly's and- not quite right. Philly's not quite right. Well, I mean, they're they're forcing the you're pushing the envelope with the Markel Fultz situation and trying to take a long view on what they're building, and I get that, but it hasn't gone well when him and Simmons have been on the floor together. So that's a work in progress. And you know, I, I, the Pacers I think are more of a known commodity right now. What I was going to say a second ago is I just can't. I know it's early, but I mean, seven games is not nothing. And and here those Bucks are sitting with a, a league best uh, plus fifteen point nine point differential. I mean, they're not just undefeated. I mean, they're undefeated by a, a, a massive margin. Right. Um, West, what are you doing? West. Um, so we're going to go with those Warriors at number one. Yeah. And this is a little trickier. It's crazy, um, isn't it? What's that? It's really kind of crazy. It is kind of crazy. Um I say this half kiddingly. I mean, can I put the Clippers in my top four? I, I, I well, I had the I had them in my top eight to start, so I had them as a playoff team. Yeah, they're good, man. They're really good. They got a great spirit. Uh, I, I spent time around them recently, and I have a good grip on kind of what the message is, you know, from Doc on down in the locker room, from Steve Ballmer on down, uh, management wise. They they really have a healthy thing going, and I'm, I think they're really interesting going into next summer as like this underdog free agency destination. So that's a pod for another day, but the top four, uh, I mean, I'm bullish on the nuggets. I'm not ready to put that number two, even though they're, they're sitting right there right now in the standings. Uh, I'm going to give that to your Utah jazz. Cause I, I love their formula and their program and, and, uh, health permitting. I'm going to give number two to the jazz. I'm going to give number three, to uh, I'm putting the Nuggets there right now, and uh, it's hard to know where it all shakes out. But I'm going to go with the Spurs at number four because I Ooh. like how they look right now. Uh, so I had to start the year. I had Jazz or Warriors, Jazz, Pelicans, Rockets. Okay. Um, the Jazz honestly played the Rockets without Chris Paul with James Harden getting hurt played Pelicans without Anthony Davis and are about to play the you know played the Timberwolves without Jimmy Butler and Jeff Teak. Now, there's a value to the fact that they beat the Pelicans by 20 and they walked through Dallas. I mean, they're right, you still have to win them and they won them by a lot. 
Um, right. So I'm, and and the defense is kind of clicked in. So I think they're two. I'm going to go New Orleans three. And I guess Denver four, but boy, it's hard, right? Like, are we really just counting Houston out? Are we uh, Minnesota? I guess we're probably counting out. You know what? I'm going Portland four. Yeah, man, I always do. The, you know, that's I, Terry Stotts it's funny is good, I, man. You know, we always overlook them, and, and and I even, I mean, you talk about a double whammy, and hopefully, uh, you know, Blazers fans aren't listening on this particular pod, but like this this whole Warriors thing, I wrote, I highlighted the fact that the Warriors didn't give a lot of love to Utah and Denver or Toronto. So even in an article and even in a column where I'm analyzing, you know, which teams the Warriors didn't highlight, I still failed to mention that they didn't highlight Portland either, the team that was third in the West last year. So, and and they look good so far. And the thing to me that we have already learned about the Blazers and that I think was somewhat in question was, I used that word a second ago, was spirit. Like where was the Blazers spirit going to be because the outside narrative is, you know, geez, it's got to be getting boring. It's the same core year after year. You don't go deep in the playoffs. Damian Lillard eventually is going to be on a different team. You know, that's what everybody tends to think. But then, you know, Damian comes in, competes like a madman. CJ does the same thing. You, just, you know, Nurkic and those guys, and they look good. They look like a good team again. The, I mean, it's really fascinating. What you and I just did was discounted the Rockets and the Thunder as top teams that can recover to get back in the top four. Right. I'm worried about both Denver and Portland for the weirdest reason. Neither of them shoot enough threes. Denver's only shooting 31% of their shots as threes, and Portland's only at 34%. It's a very low number. Where did they rank Where did they rank in, in threes last year? I mean, offense was not a problem for them last year, and so that's my confidence is generally Portland last year was that. 18th in the league. No, I'm saying Denver. Oh, Denver last year was tw- was ninth in the league in threes, and this year they are twenty second. So I mean, maybe it's just an early outlier, and, and that gets corrected. Because uh, I'm not, I'm not worried about them whatsoever offensively. I mean, they were sixth last year in offensive rating, and, and the thing that I don't know yet, you know, if it's going to be real or not, is just what they've been able to do on the defensive end. Because you got this team that's been in the you know, the, the mid to late 20s defensively the last couple of years, and I'm now cheating and looking at NBA.com. I mean, right now they're still third. I mean, you know, right. that's pretty darn good. Six games in, you're third in the league in defense with Jokic as the man in the middle who nobody thought could defend his own shadow. You know, they're doing pretty well. Denver's been the second-best team so far. There's no there's yeah. no question, like, if we were judging who's been the best team, second-best team, Denver's been, Denver's been the second-best team and Portland's been the third-best team. The question is whether or not you think that that's what's in the West. You're saying, yeah, I think I, uh, whether that's yeah. sustained. Yeah. Um, the un there's some unnatural things going on with them uh, defensively right now. They've gone from being 22nd in the league last year, 30th year before, to fourth in the league in turnovers forced right now. They went from 28th and 27th defending the shot the last two years to 14th defending the shot. Um, their rebounding's natural. They've always been a good rebounding team. So there's some there's some funky. There's those two numbers are a little funky. The amount of turnovers they're forcing and the amount of missed shots people have against them right now feels a little, little unnatural. But, yep, I agree. I mean, we'll see if it holds up. But you know, it's they're a fun story, man. They you know Mike Malone. You go to last year and everybody's wondering if he's going to survive. 
they lose the the playoffs in the last game of the year against Minnesota, and next thing you know, he's getting himself an extension and and you know putting this team in a good place. They uh, and they have this core that I know again, it's not a big market, so there's not as much attention paid to it. It's a little Utah esque when it comes to people sleeping on the fact that oh by the way, management just did a hell of a job putting together the, the type of core that if it's worthy you know worthy of of keeping together for quite some time is is could have a runway that uh, is longer than most. Interesting concept. We'll finish on this with Sam Amick and and just our the vibe you and I both have right now is the Warriors are one and the next four best teams in the Western Conference in whatever order are Utah, Denver, Portland, and New Orleans. Yeah, I need the New Orleans thing. I, I'm still not buying it, and you know, and and I don't know why. So. But but I think your takeaway is dead on that we are both very comfortable being extremely critical and suspect of Houston and OKC, and I think it's legit right now. Houston. OKC's got health stuff that is not changing anytime soon because they were already, you know, their their formula, their makeup was already, you know, a hard sell even when Robertson was healthy because they had to be this dominant defensive team that just had star power get them over the edge on the offensive end. And Robertson's out for quite some time, and Terrence Ferguson wasn't good as a starter, and all these things. Um, and then Houston, I just there's no way to look at Houston right now and and not feel like it, it's not a dumpster fire, but it's it's going down that road. I mean, it's not going well at all. And we didn't count the Lakers either. Interesting thoughts. We'll see if yeah. we change it. Sam Amick, he's on every week on Locked On NBA. Just checking around. Ben Golliver was on Tuesday this last week uh, with the guys. Tomorrow is Anthony and Adam with their great. Friday show. Thanks very much, Sam. Read them at The Athletic. If you want to subscribe, it's theathletic.com slash locked on NBA.